Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. I'm here in the tap room with our co-host Maria Cabre. What's going on, Maria? Hey. You ever play pickleball? Um, as you know, and our listeners may not, I'm not very athletic, so anything that involves balls being thrown at me, uh, it's not a good thing. Jeez. So no basketball, no baseball, nope. no football. Although I'm pretty good in a batting cage. Uh, that would, okay. But that, That's a big claim, though. Like softball batting cage? No, no. Like real baseballs. <laughs> Who's our first guest this week? Our first guest is the founder co-owner of Lincoln's Beard Brewing Company in Miami, Florida. He served in military intelligence before opening his brewery in 2016. He has since created Fire Pit Hospitality, the company behind Lincoln's Beard, Strange Beast, Maxwell Brothers, Clothing Store, Thorn, and Crybaby Creamery. He's an old friend of ours and the first Miami brewer that we have featured on the show. But what do we really know about the man they call John Falco? Hmm. Welcome to the Beer Hour, John Falco. Thank you uh, very much for joining us today in the tap room. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here today. So it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, I think it's been a while coming that we actually to get you on here. Actually, uh, as Rocco likes to state, our first uh, Miami brewer. Miami brewer. Uh, on right. here. Even though you'd like to say that you probably couldn't brew no. beer right now if you wanted to. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> probably could not. Um, Pure figurehead at this point, I think. <laughs> hype man, hype man. I, think, I mean, Spiderwell. that's just as important sometimes. Yeah, yeah. figureheads. Sure. Absolutely. Figurehead, yeah, absolutely. So uh, you actually served in the military. Um, I did. Which branch, for how long, and what did you specialize in? Sure. So I was uh, an intelligence officer in the Air Force for about seven and a half years, uh, active, did a few years reserve too, uh, all local. Um, Traveled all around the world, uh, some place nice, some place not so nice, but uh, yeah. So that was Collect, collecting intel. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Sitting in front of a computer is probably uh, the more literal term, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had quite a few brewery owners on who have served their country on the show. So we'll ask you our favorite question. What skills did you develop in the military that prepared you to become a successful entrepreneur? Absolutely. I, I, uh, that's a great question. I was just talking to someone, another veteran, about this the other day. The main thing, which you certainly take for granted, is the training you get. You know, you don't realize how expensive formal training is until you're a business owner and want right. to send your people to it. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, so the amount of uh, um, leadership training, um, you know, practical applications of teamwork uh, and, and things like this are, are certainly the most, um, the most vital. I'd say a very close second is in my line of work as an, as an intelligence officer, you're just briefing people all the time, right? So it's, it's a tremendous amount of public speaking and that ability to deal with different personalities and different audiences is, right. is vital with what we do, right. of course, and in any business. Um, so I, I'd say those are definitely the two, two top. Yeah. When was your first exposure to craft beer? I mean, like, do you think there was one particular beer that kind of turned the light bulb on? You know, I, I'm not sure I'd call it a craft beer, but it's, it's, it was certainly the segue was Newcastle. And it was okay. in a little, there was a little bar. I was in Korea for a little over a year. And there was a little bar there that was a, a very American bar. It was like Amer what you would call like an American high-end bar. I'm sure right now in, in Korea, there's, they have their own. Right indigenous uh um craft beer now. exactly they're indigenous crafts but back this was in 2005 oh, you know they were just yeah. kind of really on our heels um here in Amer i mean here in america we were we you know we were on our heels but um this bar uh, i'll never forget you kind of sit at the table um, crime really isn't a thing in korea right, right not like it is in america so they just have these big buckets of beer and you grab it and, and you really? just let them know what you bought yeah um and most of it was just uh, uh, kind of Asian light beer, but I remember they had Newcastles in there. They were super expensive, uh, or expensive at the time. Shit, I don't know. They're probably uh, um, probably eight bucks nowadays, right? Which is that's, what we're, that's we're, like the norm. Uh, that's our, now. like our yeah. lager, yeah, you yeah. know. But um, but you know, this was 
geez, what, almost 20 years ago. And I was like eight bucks. I didn't drink them often, but I remember I enjoyed that Newcastle Brown so well. I don't know if I've had one since then, but um, <laughs> right, yeah. That that was the first time that I was like, man, beer beer can have flavor. It's not, you know, I was a twenty five year old kid. It's not just right. for getting drunk on the weekends. You right, know? it doesn't taste like water. Yeah, with some exactly. alcohol. Yes, yeah, so exactly. All the light lagers and everything else that that we got exposed to. Mm-hmm. How long after that period did you start homebrewing? So quite a, quite a bit after, you know, I, um, I, I ended up, you know, I was bouncing around in the military quite a bit. So it wasn't till I'd say probably around 2012, 2013, that I had this old wine kit that my mother-in-law at the time had bought me. And it was just kind of sitting there. And I'm like, what am I going to do with this wine kit? I loved wine, but I didn't necessarily want to make my own wine. Right. Um, so I'm like, you know, uh, I think I'm just going to start brewing beer because I was drinking a lot more craft then. I was drinking a lot of fat tires, sharing oh, a lot of pale yeah, ale. Yeah. Um, so I called one of my buddies who worked at a brewery in uh, Ohio for a while, and he was in the military with me. And I'm like, hey, listen, I want to get into craft brewing. I don't know how to do anything. This is what I have. I have this wine kit. Wh- what else do I need? So and I'll never forget it was on Black Friday, and he sent me a whole Excel list <laughs> of exactly what I needed. Uh, with That's Am- pretty with cool. Amazon links and everything. It took him like an hour and a half. I That's assume awesome. he was just bored at the house. Yeah. I'm like, dude, That's this awesome. is great. So I bought everything and started homebrewing. That was like 2012, 2013. What was your first batch? Oh, it was a fat tire clone, clone? of okay. course, okay. which tasted nothing. I think I bought it from Northern Brewer. <laughs> Caribou, hey. something or other. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I remember that, actually. Yeah, I remember yeah. That, that kit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it tasted nothing like it. Um, I mean, who knows what it tastes like, but I know it didn't taste like fat tire. But it for was still sure. drinkable, though. It was drink. I didn't die. There didn't you go. Die. That's that's the most important thing. That's right, you're still sure. here. Yes, <laughs> the pH was low enough to to avert to, botulism. No, exactly, exactly. When did the idea of opening a craft brewery first come into your mind? At that point, yeah, th- that happened when I was in my government issued uh, minivan a carpool. Uh, we were was going to Southcon, working at Southcon at the time as intelligence officer for the Defense Intelligence Agency, and and um, I just, it wasn't me. You know, I was never a great employee, uh, as you can imagine. Um, I did well and I was effective, but I, you know, I don't like rules too, too much. Um, so uh, it just kind of wasn't working out. I, I just wasn't, wasn't really rewarding. I couldn't create. Um, the intelligence world is inherently inward looking, you know, for security reasons, which is just not what I'm about. So um, I was craft brewing. I, I had, you know, a, a this is up in Broward. I was living. I had um, gone over to Riverside Market and Craft Beer Cartel. You know, right, Julian yeah. Spot those up there guys, and, yeah. yeah, and those guys. And, and so I was doing a lot of tasting, and I was getting more and more excited about craft brewing. Obviously, we've all been there. And um, I was like, you know, we should open a little beer bar. And the process of opening a beer bar took so long and finding a location that ultimately that slowly transitioned to like two more years of craft brewing. I'm like, screw it. We're going to get a brewery. Because I think you guys yeah. came in here when we were open and you guys were talking about that. I mean, what was yeah, that like? I wouldn't doubt it. 20, end of, no, beginning of 2015? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We, were, so we yeah. were in the quote unquote process then, you know, obviously didn't have enough money, didn't. We had no idea. There's what we're never going. enough money. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, you always you, al- you always go over your projections yeah. by at Oof. least thirty percent. I know. Yeah, always. It's ridiculous. So, um, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, you guys were cranking along when when we opened in 2016. But it's nuts because um, even that we're all kind of babies in the craft beer world, in the Miami craft beer world. You know, like we're quote unquote we're OGs. The OGs. Yeah. It's wild. We are yeah. the OGs. It's so wild crazy. Here, you know. So less than, you know, or 10 years old, less than 10 years old, and we're, oh, geez, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it makes right. me feel really old. Yeah, I know. I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't. I mean, no. I've aged no. what makes me feel like, you know, 20 years, but. Do you mind describing to our listeners where, like, in what part of Miami that Lincoln Spirit is actually located in? Sure. Um, Miami is located, or uh, Lincoln Spirit is located probably in the geographical center of Miami, but very far from the center of Miami. Um, so we, we are about, uh, depending on the time of the day, probably about a 30 minute drive from where we're sitting now. I think where we're sitting now is pretty close to the center of Miami, at least culturally, culturally, because of downtown, right? We're we're 20 blocks. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Blocks. Yeah. Although I I mean, yeah. But if you think geographically, because of the layout, you guys 
right would probably be more yeah. center. Yeah. I mean, because it runs all the way down to Homestead. Yeah, you know it's what I mean? massive. So, yeah. Now it's becoming California in a sense that it's just one big city from right. L.A. to San Fran. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So why did you choose that area? You know, I had never traveled east. You know, I, I was a trailer park kid kind of growing up. And, and um, so I only knew the west. I only know the, knew the burbs and that area out, out east. You know, this was all downtown. Anything right. east of Little Havana was downtown to me. <laughs> uh, right. It kind of still is. Yeah. Yes. Um, but uh, so it was just fear. You know, I didn't I already had no idea what the heck I was doing. So to come out here and open something, although we did look at some Wynwood locations and right. whatnot. Which I were I'll never forget the one we looked at was twenty seven dollars a square foot, and, and I was like, "Oof, that's pricey." It's like, yeah. "My God, that now that would be cheap." I know. Yeah, <laughs> now that would be cheap. In hindsight, yeah, I mean, Absolutely. really cheap. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I just kind of built where I knew. You know, I, I had spent some time in Grand, Ch- uh, excuse me, in Westchester. My abuela still lives there. So that's how I said. That's how I said exactly. Yes. There you go. So we we uh, popped up out there. Nice man. Yeah. How did you guys go about financing the build out? Oof, we, <laughs> yeah. know, it's I, business yeah. radio. Yeah, we have yeah. to business ask. radio. No, of course. Yeah. I, I, you know, I always say there's, there's three ways to finance your location. You could beg, borrow, steal. You could steal from your own assets or money. Right. You could beg those around you, family, friends, uh, um, which you generally have to give up equity and right. then you could borrow, right. Which is almost impossible for a startup. Um, yes. we tried the borrow. It didn't work out. We, uh, I had nothing to steal. <laughs> I stole, so, I think I liquidated the couple grand I had in my IRA, but that didn't get us anywhere. I literally found six other partners that I worked with. Right. We put whatever cash we had, whatever uh, credit cards we had, um, and we barely got open for an inordinately small amount of money. We, we opened up Lincoln's Beard. I almost don't even want to say this on air because it, it, it's, you could never do this nowadays, but we opened up Lincoln's Beard with brewing system and all for under 400K. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. What? Yeah, which is crazy. It, Do you guys own crazy. that building? No, God, I wish we did. I wish yeah. we did. I, think we I all, know. I think we all wish. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Trust tell me. me. Tell me about Trust it. Me. My God. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we've spoken to a lot of brewery owners on the beer hour about the craft beer business. I mean, how it's changed. Obviously, uh, you, I'm sure, have seen this, how hard it is to turn a profit, Ugh. owning and operating an independent craft brewery. Mm. I mean, one of the strategies is obviously to pick a neighborhood and serve that neighborhood really well sure has that been the key to your success at the beard 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. you know we've opened up a couple spots you know within eight eight ten miles from the beard and i just rarely see the same faces at those that i see at the beard which a lot just tells me it's that's my neighborhood right it's yeah. i think it's become hyper localized yep yeah like because i mean i remember you know when we had thoughts of expanding it was like we need to be 30 minutes away you yeah. know what I mean? It's like you need to, like, yeah, like if we're going to put one, it needs to be like in Aventura or yeah. 30 minutes this way. But in, yeah. in reality, I think nowadays something that's only 10 miles away would actually work. Yep. yep. It's, it's crazy to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the population density is just going wild, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. It's going wild. You know, I, I feel like what's more important, especially in Miami, is just being, frankly, just being cool. Yes. If you're yeah. cool uh, and, and what you have is innovative um, and stays exciting, it, it could, um, you know, could persist. Another strategy that Brewers mentioned is marrying food and beer. I mean, we've had Adam Darnell from Offside on discuss that idea. Is that the idea also behind your two brew pub pizzerias? I mean, you know, the Strange Beast, Maxwell Brothers? Sure, sure. Absolutely. You know, we, we, uh, when we open up Lincoln's Beard, you know, we're still partners with them and, and family at this point. Uh, Tacos and Tattoos, which is an amazing uh, locally owned ta- uh, taco shop in Miami. We're still partners with them. But when we were opening up our small brew pubs, our revenue numbers just weren't going to be as high. So we knew we had to control the food as well. Right. Um, we had no experience in food. Um, and pizza is a, a great way to go on right. that because uh, you have very little loss. You know, almost all the ingredients are... Um, are low pH or dry. Right. Um, yes. So they just last. Uh, and everyone eats pizza, right? The price point's reasonable. You can get decent margins. So we decided to go that, that way. So you, I mean, how, off the jump, you guys had tacos and tattoos in the beard? We did. We had tacos tattoos at first. Then they left for a little bit. We did our own food, a little, just a little burger shop. We kind of struggled through that. We had some good food, but we kind of struggled through that. And then tacos came back. Now with the three brew pubs, basically, I mean, are you brewing different beer at each site? We actually just recently consolidate all the brewing to Lincoln's Beard. 
Okay. Um, we, it just made a little bit more sense to us. And you're sending beer. And we're sending beer over there, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just, it just makes more sense. The only catch is because of state laws in Florida, mm-hmm. um, we have to pay a distributor to take beer to ourselves. It's ridiculous. Well, wait a second now. It is the well, stupidest wait a second shit. Now. Wait a second now. Do you still have brewing equipment in those two brew pubs? We we don't, and even oh. if we did, we would could we'd only be able to send to those those brew pubs. How much you manufacture the, exactly. within that, exactly. which still helps. It still helps. We were doing it for a bit. Um, I mean, you could always it, say, "Hey, I'm doing 300 barrels out exactly. here." Exactly, <laughs> you that could. Is, yes, yeah. of course. So let's uh, not give it all up here. Okay, well, I know that. <laughs> Keep some in the pocket. No <laughs> yeah. one will hear it. No, no one will hear no, it. No. Yeah, it, it, it honestly just became a trade off. You know, when you look at a square foot, obviously in your space, you, you, you know, you ask yourself, I could put. You know, my cost savings from brewing here versus putting a table there. Um, and that's really what it, what it was uh, uh, so for us. So let me ask you, so since you're having to sell to a distributor to then buy back yourself, how are you handling that so that your margins are still? We, we have to just send out under, you know, to stay within the letter of law, we have to send it to the distributor. One, we work with a local small distributor. Right, right, right. Which obviously I encourage anyone that's able to, to do, do. It's yeah. very difficult, of course, because they're, they're small. Right. Um, but we work with a, a small local distributor called Nomad, and Nomad works well with us um, on that rate. You know, we just have to make sure that those SKUs, um, you know, are, are exclusive SKUs we're sending to ourselves. Right. Essentially. Right. No one else can buy the beer. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. You can make a very similar version of right. that. Right. Instead of somebody else. <laughs> but not Incredibly that one. similar. Yes. But not that one. <laughs> so you actually also have Thorn, a restaurant cocktail bar, yeah. and Crybaby Creamery. Obviously, ice cream. He's yeah. a hospitality group now. Under the fire pit <laughs> hospitality umbrella. Like, <laughs> how do all of these concepts kind of marry or fit together? Yeah. You know, um, the brew pubs kind of fly on their own. You know, we have uh, Crybaby at each one of them. There's a Crybaby next to the one at Maxwell's. Um, Lincoln's provides beer to them all. Um, and then, of course, Thorn is just our latest. You know, we finally have a full kitchen. We have uh, a, and liquor. That's a, that's a different kind it's, of... It's a deal. different animal, and it's a bear. And as much as I, I love uh, the creativity behind right. it, and I love my team, um, it is very, very difficult. It's yeah. very difficult. I, I, you know, if I, if hypothetically you could pay your bills not worrying about any food and just just serving serving liquor, that's great. But obviously, there's challenges and limitations yeah. right. uh, with that. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, also right, depending on license and everything and else, because yep. you know, fifty one. If it's the Kind of license where you need fifty one percent of your revenue to come from food, then correct, yeah, yeah. Another fun Florida, Florida law, yeah. That that's that, that's yeah. my second most so, frustrating Florida law is the fact that in New Orleans uh, you could probably grab a liquor license for like five grand, but here it's uh, you got to get sh- shaken what, down by a secondary market. How much yeah. is it now? One hundred fifty, um, two hundred fifty grand. I, I know right now they're going for about three hundred and fifty thousand mm. dollars. Yeah, and banks will not um, fund will, will no. not fund them, so you have to go through the their own financing <laughs> loan sharks oh, and um, they're charging, you know, 12%, 30% down <laughs> interest only. It, it's, it's uh liquor is a, a different animal. I mean, I, cause animal. when we thought about getting one here, it was two issues. Number one, it was 150 grand. Yeah. And that's not something we had in our startup capital. Yeah. Incredibly and expensive. then number two, it was the fact that we were still limited, which I don't, I think they took all limitations because we had to put in for like a lottery because the number of licenses yeah. they right. had within Wynwood were only 25, but there weren't 25 restaurants, but all 25 licenses were, but it was only like 25 licenses, but all the licenses were gone, even though there weren't 25 bars or restaurants. Sitting so up. then we had to go somebody and, and pay somebody else just to get a two cop. Oh, this was wow. beer and wine. Unbelievable. The yeah. word for that in Spanish is tracaleria, oh. which can, is can like... It's yeah, like, please. um, it's like a, it's a, it's a shakedown. It's like, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. it's yeah. like, someone it's goes in and buys them all up. You make it looking impossible. Looking to make profit off of that. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Secondary market. It's, it's brutal. It's like yeah. taxi medallions back in the day. Oh, <laughs> right? yeah. It's the Absolutely. same concept. Yeah. Yeah. Same concept. So actually speaking upon Crybaby Creamery, you actually are going to be at the South Beach Food and Wine Festival Grand Tasting? Correct. Correct. So we're, we're well, actually, we're not going to be at the Grand Tasting, but we're going to be we're going to be at, at four other events. We were at Burger Bash last night. Um, and this this is uh, just a quick shout out to pastry chef Stephanie Diaz, who's our executive chef. She's incredible, incredible talent and a wonderful person. Um, uh, so we'll be at Steak and Whiskey, the Block Party, Chicken Coop, which was one of my favorite events. Just a whole bunch of fried chicken and dessert. Nice. 
great. And then the Family Ice Cream Social, which is a fun event that Sobe puts on every year for the kids. Excellent. Um, Excellent. So we'll be at those five. You know, historically, we've had some, uh, we've had our, our pizzerias out there doing meatballs and whatnot, but it's just a bit of a bear. So we now just, we need to get beer yeah. in there. Yeah, that'd be nice, right? Right. Craft beer. That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Gotta push out that Stella. Oh, yeah. Come on. I mean, we're doing everything else craft. I mean, everything else, you know, restaurants, yeah, food, you, ice cream. And you drink you know a Stella. I mean? yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, of course. I know you've touched on, obviously, we've mentioned Florida law quite a few times and actually saw a commercial with you in it yeah. running about trying to pass new legis- you know, legislation in regards to distribution. Do you want to touch on that at all? Yeah, I'd love to, you know, um, and the guild's been trying to fight the good fight, but it's, it's honestly a bit of a David and Goliath situation, except David doesn't have the rock sling thing. I mean, the, uh, Um, the the guild, the guild can be questionable too sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Full disclosure. I, I I dropped out of the guild years ago. Um, and it's, it's not because I I don't respect the guys at guild. I I love those guys, you know, Adam, obviously a good friend and, and everyone, um, they're amazing. And I know they're fighting a good fight. Um, it just felt like, and they're probably going to hate me for saying this. It just, you know, I, I spent it wasn't wheels. worth the cost. Yeah, right. it wasn't worth the, the cost because the wheels were just spinning until, until there's some kind of a watershed moment. Right. Um, it, it's just, it's not, not going to, it just doesn't seem like anything's going to change. And it's unfortunate because every single person with a brain um, can look at this and go, that is rotten, especially yeah. in the state of Florida, which is, you know, supposed to be the free state. So um, which, you know, we all love uh, Florida, but um, it's just, it is a quintess classic case of just big money lobbying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And holding the little man down. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and now, now we're seeing there's a lot of small brewers that are simp- they're going to close down because 30% of their top line is right. going away. Right. Um, and I, I, I know at least two of my friends that are um, on the verge are about to shut the doors. Uh, and yeah. it's because of this. Well, so to break it down, basically, in Florida, it's a three-tier state. So we can manufacture the beer, but we cannot sell it directly to the retailers. That A being restaurants, bars, Whole Foods, Publix, Total Wine, whatever. We have to go through a distributor. So we have to sell the beer at whole, wholesale prices. Yep. And then they mark minimum 30% gross margin, which is not 30%. Well, margin, depending on your distributor, gross, correct, which in reality equates to about fifty percent markup. Correct. So, in order to be competitive, you have to lower your prices yeah. enough so that you're skimming by to get beer out the door, just so that it gets out to the retailer and, and you know you get more beer out there. But to play that game, you have to move mass volume. Correct. And yeah. not a lot of guys can do that. Yep, you have to move mass volume. You have to you have to get in a price war with the big guys, yep. which you're never going to win. Um, and the distributor doesn't have to sell your beer. No. It can sit on your beer. Even if something's in that contract that says they can't do that, um, you know, we've, we've seen recently that in court, it, it, you know, the money still wins and yep. um, you can be held hostage. These are lifelong contracts. Now, even if it's a five-year contract, there's, there's franchise laws in place where in order to get out of the contract, even once it's, once it's ended, right. you have to buy your brand back for right. inordinate amounts, six figures and up. Right. Um, it's it's just a brutal, brutal situation. And this was set up so uh, there wouldn't be tight house. So you wouldn't have, uh, um, let's say, since Stella's on the mine, you wouldn't have a Stella that owns the brewery, the distributor, and the bar. The challenge is those distributors can be owned by anyone as long as they don't have quote-unquote operational control. 99.9% of that distributor can be owned by Stella, and right. the 0.1% that quote-unquote controls it can't, can't be Stella. So, uh, But that 0.1% can make decisions based upon, of course, their portfolio, right. which would be all Stella. So um, it's, what, it's a brutal situation. Because if it doesn't change probably in the next year or two, I think more breweries are probably going to go. Absolutely. Out of business. Yeah. Yeah, this next year is probably going to be a tough year for a lot of folks. Yeah. Um, you know, it's and, and Sam Caligiuni was saying it for years that the war that we're going to lose is going to be the price we're going to be forced into a price war with the big guys. Well, so that's not where we're be able at. To beat them, and that's we're where at. we're at. That's where we're at. Yeah, yeah because yeah. before pandemic, uh, you could control your own pricing. Yeah, and now you're having to play ball and cut prices to compete and. 
You just can't. Yeah, and that only works if you're sending out a ton of volume. So any dip in <laughs> I don't know anybody down economy, here that's doing that. Exactly. Any dip in the economy, now you're not sending that volume out. And There's nobody in Miami doing that volume. No. I mean, you'd have to be doing 150,000, 200,000 yeah. barrels. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and back in the day, you know, hey, if you can, if you can, the closer you can get that ten thousand barrel, you could actually have a viable business, right? You know, and that's just not the case anymore. No. Not these no. prices. Not at all. <clears throat> Last question here. Sure. If you had to do it all over again, would you have started with a brewery or jump right into something more food driven? Yeah, I, I think um, in Miami, I would have started with a liquor bar somehow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that's what flies here. Yeah, it's just yeah. It's, it just is what it is. You know, I, I think um, craft beer is very important. I think on a large scale, we had a, a big push in craft beer, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, and I think that's awesome. Um, I think that those of us that are going to kind of survive the reckoning that we are currently in, God willing, it's as many of us as can possibly survive it, I think we'll carry that forward. But um, I, I don't think it's a long-term play. I, no. I, if someone came no. to me right now and said, I want to open a brewery, I'd say, mm. let's look at your business plan because I don't think it's, it's viable. I would tell anybody that wanted to open yeah. a brewery right now, I'd say, wait. Yeah. Wait. Absolutely. Wait five years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there, there will probably be another resurgence, right? right. So, yeah, wait five um, years. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time. We My appreciate pleasure. it, man. Thanks, Thanks for having me. So, I really appreciate it, y'all. Thank you. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest is a pickleball pro, a creator for the New York Mets Baseball Club, and a social media influencer. She was also part of an NCAA championship women's softball team at Pace University. She's here to give us a peek into the world of sponsored athletes, brand ambassadors, and social media influencers, and show us how to excel at three jobs at once while making it look easy. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Tara Bernstein. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for actually coming into the tap room. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me, guys. I mean, it's always nice to come back over here and see all the nice colorful walls, and being in the 305 is just amazing in general. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So we kind of jump into like the meat and potatoes. So where did you grow up and what did your folks do for a living? Yeah, so I grew up in New York, in Queens, New York, and I went to Bayside High School. And uh, my dad, mom, I grew up in Glen Oaks. And my dad, um, he was a musician growing up my life. Um, big rock and roll guy. Really? Yeah. Oh, nice. What does he play? Uh, guitar, electric guitar, and sings. Nice. Yeah, so he was in a band called Vixen um, back in the 80s. And then um, he also now has worked for um, this company called National Business Furniture. So he does, like, all the furniture in, like, different schools and colleges and offices and buildings. Oh, wow. And Yeah, so he's, like, the main guy in New York for that. Oh, nice. And then my mom, um, she's an interior designer. So she basically does all that, you know, puts puts all the magic to happen in the in the buildings nice. that's so she does buildings like commercial and then yeah that's awesome yeah. yeah she does a lot of banks um oh and then i actually have a bonus mom bonus dad so my step parents i have a modern family <laughs> and my stepmom's a gynecologist and my stepdad's a construction guy oh very nice that's awesome nice. yeah so did you play any sports growing up oh yeah i played almost every sport growing up i was definitely the tomboy the one that wanted to play with the guys and try to keep up. And um, I mean, everything from flag football to volleyball to soccer to basketball um, oh, wow. and then eventually okay. choosing softball. Really? Yeah. What position did you play in uh, softball? Outfield. Really? Yeah. So you had wheels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, <I'd, laughs> we worked a lot on form. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So but you actually played softball at Pace University and were part of a team who won NCAA Division Two championship. So you played outfield for them, and what do you, what kind of life lessons do you think you learned while while playing collegiate sports, collegiate softball? Yeah, that's actually a really great question. I played um, being a collegiate athlete in general. It teaches you a lot about time management, resiliency, um, being a part of a team, and just in general, like a lot of just life lessons of you know being able to just put your heart out on something and really, you know, being passionate about something, but also, you know, having a purpose, like behind everything, what you do in life. So being an athlete really just kept me focused. Um, we all had a mission, we all had a goal. 
um, individually, but also as a team. And I think that's like something that is super special and that's carried me throughout my whole life. Kind of prepped you for working after yeah. college, you know, that team atmosphere. Well, it's actually interesting because I decided to get a job during college, which was quite crazy. Um, but a lot of people didn't really understand the journey and what I wanted to do and how I was going to do it. But I knew that I needed to get started during college and not after college. So being proactive was definitely something that was super important to me during college. I was waking up um, for lifts at 6 a.m., going to practice, doing agilities, going to hitting, then going to class, and then going to my internship. So, and you, then you had a full plate. Lift. I had a full plate. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, that's so. Actually, to speak upon one of the internships you had during college, you actually interned with the New York Mets. I mean, they, they later offered you a job, and you've been there ever since. Um, like it must have been the best job in the world for a ball player from Queens. What exactly was your role as producer, digital creator for social media for the, for the yeah, Mets? Yeah, so I, I love this question because the Mets is where, you know, the foundation of my career and where it all started. I actually applied for a job back in 2016 with them, which was a great year right after the 2015. Oh, yeah, yeah. We had a really great run and it was just a really good time um, to be with the team and the atmosphere in general in Queens. So I remember going into that job interview and I applied on this work on this uh, website called Teamworks online. And at first I was like, there's no way I'm getting this job. Like I just wanted to apply for something. And I applied with the email. My email back then was like Tara softball. Like I was like, they're not going to take me seriously. Like, but I ended up getting a reply back for an interview. I went in there, I crushed the interview. And then I remember them saying, like, what's your availability like? And this is when I was like, the wheels were turning in my head, like, oh, my gosh, like, I play a spring sport. Like, how the heck are they going to want me to be a part of the organization, dedicate my time, but yet I play for a college softball team? I ended up saying to, you know, Brian um, Resnick, who was the person that was um, – uh, doing the interview with me and talking to me about it. And I was like, Hey, like I will do anything and everything to make sure on my off days to be here and get this job done and really just, you know, be here. And he gave me that chance. And I ended up working there and working a ton of games. It actually ended up with my schedule working out beautifully, which something, you know, I didn't think it was going to go that way. It was kismet. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. So that's where it all started. Um, and then I started working in entertainment. So I was throwing t-shirts out to the fans, um, setting up all the fun games, all the stuff that you see on the oh, Jumbotron. Cool. So that was like my first role with the team. Would you say that there was a, a new attitude and optimism in the organization when Steve Cohen bought the team? A hundred percent. The Cohens are not only just, you know, they're great people in general, but also they ha are passionate fans, which I think with anything you do in life, if you're passionate about something and you have the knowledge, it, it just takes you to a whole different level and people respect that a lot more. So I definitely think there is an upward direction. Um, the Coens are great people. They're going to do great stuff for the organization for sure. They're going to win a wor World Series again? I'm, I'm hoping so. Uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm hoping not. I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm He's a Phillies fan. Oh, He's a Phillies fan. Those are the worst fans. Wait. Thank you. Thank you. Those are the <laughs> worst fans. They'll throw beer on you, honestly. They <laughs> I'm, I'm a Red Sox we both, we Okay, both we're, hate, we're fine. We yeah. both hate the Braves. I mean, the uh, yeah, the Braves. We both hate the See, Braves. See, the thing so is, like, go. I'm not a hater of, like, any team. I've never been that way. I'm more just, like, the fans. Like, the fans just, like, you go over there, and they're just, like, Terrible. You say brutal. something They're the terrible. wrong way, They're like they'll just chuck something at you, and it's like, all your right, mother. Like, <laughs> your mom, literally, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> your mom, <laughs> exactly. Um, Mets fans are angels. Uh, we're yeah, just yeah. used to yeah. here with the Marlins. We're used to just when we play the Mets, it's all Mets fans. Well, oh yeah, that's because no one goes to the Marlins games. Uh, <laughs> calm down. Uh, we're uh, trying. You know, uh, it's it's been hard here, uh, but uh, you're uh, talking about teams that have been in these cities for a very oh, I know long. Trust me. Yeah. Listen, I remember watching the Mets when it was Daryl Strawberry, Doc Good. Oh, my God. Lenny yeah, Dykstra. there's a whole Simpsons you know, episode yes. about it. Yes, it's amazing. I mean, that was the heyday Mets. That was the heyday. We just, that was the heyday we just aged yeah. ourselves, guys. <laughs> they got some good food over here, though. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah we do. Yeah. Yeah. Can never go wrong with some Cuban food. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. So let's talk about your newest sport. Yes. I mean, the story goes that during the pandemic, like all of us, I mean, we were all in lockdown. Since you had graduated from Pace, you were also feeling the void that so many 
collegiate athletes experience once they graduate. Your dad actually invited you to play pickleball. Like, what were your preconceptions about the sport before you played that day, and how did you feel about it after you started playing regularly? Yeah, so this is actually super, super funny because my dad invited me to go join him and his buddies, and I was so skeptical about it. I was like, what is this? Like, What is this game? Yeah, what yeah. is this game? Um, but at the same time, I was like, all right, like I want to go spend time with my dad and hang out and play. Right. So I ended up going to the court, and pickleball, I don't know if you guys ever played before, but yes. it's just one of those sports where you lose track of time once you're on the court. You don't even want to look at your phone. Like, you put your phone down, and you end up saying, like, hey, to your significant other, your friend, like, hey, I'll be at the courts for, like, an hour, and it ends up being, like, four hours. So that was, like, the first start of when I was, like, wow, I actually, like, didn't want to be on my phone. I wanted to just be in the present, enjoy the moment, and I had such a fun time. It's such a social, inclusive sport. So the fact that I got to compete um, at, and there's so many different levels you can compete at, so... I just felt that, you know, I had that void of like, you know, you go yes. from playing a college sport and then you're working in sports, but you're not competing. So I missed that. And then I saw that in pickleball, like I knew that there was like something in the next two years that it was just, you know, going to explode. And people were actually making fun of me. They were like, I started posting about it and they were like, what are you doing? Like, why are you posting this? Why are you spending so much right. time doing it? And I was like, I enjoy it and I want to eventually make a career out of it. And at first they laughed about it and now they ask me where I'm playing next. So That's awesome. it, it's good. So, <laughs> so you're, are you playing professionally? So I actually, so there's with pickleball that's where it's so interesting too because there are professional leagues so you have major league pickleball and then you have like they have their tours that they go and they have different cities and stuff but for me um my goal with pickleball is to play at the highest level and enter in pro events just because i do so much as a creator i'm passionate about right. the sport i'm you know a brand ambassador um, and I also do a ton of different events so it's definitely more on the creator side and the entrepreneurial side so, I mean, have you have you played in some of these pro events? I have, yeah. I actually played in my first pro event at the U.S. Open in Naples, uh, which was extremely fun. I nice. played with um, Louis, and he's also a part of the Franklin family. He's um, from England, so it was super fun, and we had a great time. We That's actually awesome. won two, um, two games, so it was fun. Bottom line, though, is like social media is the common thread for the three things that you do, even pickleball. You started posting about pickleball and Franklin Sports, a manufacturer of pickleball gear, actually reached out to you. Like, what happened next when they reached out to you? Yeah, so Franklin Sports, um, family-owned business, been around for a long time. A bunch of the Mets athletes are with Franklin, batting gloves. and Originators of the batting glove. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly. Yeah. Really? Franklin, yeah. Yeah, so I, I started seeing their stuff and started posting with it, and... They, when I started talking to them, I was like, this is, I'm doing, I'm aligned with a bunch of events. I'm aligned with a bunch of tournaments. I want to keep posting about the sport. And it just, the brand just aligned with me and, you know, playing pickleball. So I ended up signing last year, a one-year deal with them, which was something that I was like, wow, like I ended up getting made That's fun awesome. of playing pickleball. <laughs> and, and, now, then, now you're getting paid. and then I'm Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, this actually, as of um, a few days ago, I signed my second deal with them for this year back again. So congratulations. Thank you. So I'm back on year nice. two with Franklin and we have a lot stored. Um, we just did a insane activation at Super Bowl in Vegas at the convention center. I mean, I was doing interviews with Tyree Kill. Um, he did nice. a, he did a backflip on the court. Um, we did, you know, Jalen Waddle and a bunch of other guys, but it, it was great. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was funny because yeah, if you watched the Super Bowl, I mean, you actually saw halftime commercials. The ones with the babies were actually on a pickleball court. Yes. I mean, that's like, yeah, so it's come that far. Basically, by signing these, these deals with Franklin, I mean, you're now doing the pro tour but like as a brand ambassador I would say yeah exactly so just from last year alone my pickleball like collaborations like some of them included doing the stuff at Super Bowl um, I had my own pickleball networking event in New Jersey that I put together and just had a bunch of people come play pickleball and then share their business ideas and and see how they can collaborate uh, I've done 
Sobe Food and Wine last year, just attending the event to now this year actually hosting the event. Are you, you going to have chefs on a pickleball court? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So last year, last year I ended up playing in it. Hunter and I played in it. And this year we're actually hosting it. So we're super excited for that. But that was just one of the events that we did last year that was so, so fun. And then I I did a Celsius event, partnered with Celsius last year um, and David Dobrik, which was really cool. Oh, okay. Uh, 1800 Tequila. it's spread out far and wide then. Yeah, Meta, Threads, like a whole bunch of different brands that I partnered with last year. So You actually dragged this guy on the pickleball court too? Yeah. That's I, awesome. I dragged Hunter on the court and now he actually loves it. That's, that, that's awesome. That is awesome. So actually through all this, I mean, amazing journey, you're actually your other job is social media influencer. I mean, you actually are the first social media influencer we've had on the show. Can you briefly... Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your award is in the mail. <laughs> Michael Simon, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. now yeah. this is actually a big thing in today's market and just landscape. Can you briefly explain how it works and how you make a living as a social media influencer? Yeah. So I think for me, it's just being organic and posting stuff that's relatable and that has, you know, what I'm actually doing with my life. Like every, every brand who I work with and collab with is something that I truly believe in and actually use my day-to-day life. So I think that's like the first step that was important for me as a creator to, to be as relatable as possible, but also um, post things that I truly believe in. And everything I do, it's kind of like I put a lot of work um, and effort into my content where like kind of each like video that I may do from an event, it's like a storytelling video or um, pictures that I post. So definitely um, it's it's come a long way with the content creation process. I think a lot of people kind of see the the end result of an event and see the photos and the videos, but there's so much work that goes in behind it. There's a thousand calls. There's a thousand emails, as you guys would yeah. know in general. Um, of just making, you know, something happen. I mean, did this all happen organically for you or were you creating content in those early days with the intention of growing followers and becoming an influencer? I never wanted to just become an influencer. I think for me, my goal in life and career-wise was to make sure to do things that I, what I love to do and not necessarily be capped in one area and kind of just you know, keep on building with different brands and building my own brand and aligning with different people. And just, I I tell everyone, I'm like, you know, you don't need to have one identity. Like if you want to, you know, rock the runway, but then also lift weights, go to the gym, do CrossFit, Tough Mudders, like you can do, you can do a 360 of everything. So I think for me, it's like my important goal was just really having that entrepreneur mindset, which in school, like, unless, you know, you go to school for business or anything, but I went to school for sports broadcasting. And I thought I was just going to be like, you know, for one team, a sports broadcaster. But I knew that I wanted to be able to do a 360 and cover different topics from different areas and talk to different people, which required that entrepreneurial mindset of like, you know, not being just locked in one area. So, so I have a question because, because I'm old, Tara. Um, oh my god! A brand, oh my a brand, re- a brand reaches out to you. Yes. Right, and then um, is it simply they're giving you their product so that you'll post about it, or are they paying you? Is that negotiated in advance? Is it contingent on how many views it gets or likes? How right. does all that stuff work on the business side of it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, I think you know, for me, I every for everything I normally post, um, if it's like a brand partnership, it is paid. Mm-hmm. Um, Product wise, like, you know, if I truly, truly love the product and really want to work with the brand, like I'll post it on my own because I actually love the product and stuff. But everything that, you know, I normally post um, brand related wise is a paid collaboration just because my reach and my engagement is really high. So whatever I post, you know, people are asking me, what is it? How can they how can they be involved? They're clicking it. They're actually using it. They're asking me where I'm wearing my stuff, like where I get it from or just in general. So it is based on um, statistics and engagement yeah. for sure. Super trackable for the Right, right, right. You got metrics. But if it's a product that, like, yeah. let's say they approach you and you really don't align with it, you turn it down? Yeah. If it's, if it's something that I don't align with and if it just doesn't fit my brand, maybe not necessarily like I don't like it or, or say, but like 
if it, I don't think it's going to be a good fit for it's myself, just not you. it's right. just not me, then yeah, I, I won't, I won't just collab with everybody. Okay. It has to make sense. Okay. Yeah. So you've been full go for a long time since college. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and now, you know, obviously Mets, pickleball, social media influencer, like how do you balance it all? That's a great question. I mean, just February alone, I've had suitcases. I haven't been home this whole month. I went from Super Bowl right. to spring training to now food and wine. Um, so that's pretty much been the whole month and going to be home March 2nd. And then train. I have my pickleball tournament in Sacramento that I'm playing in. So, oh, so you're all over the place. Yeah. So just, just from alone, just balancing everything, I would say like just really trying as best as possible to keep in routine. And I know that's so hard when traveling because I have a ton of different food sensitivities and allergies and it's just been extremely hard with that. And then I have to make sure to stimulate my brain and work out. Like if I don't lift or get some kind of sweat in, like my brain is already just fogged in general. So I think it's just constantly like stimulating your brain, like being around great people and, and just really just, try to keep as positive as possible because I'm really grateful that I get to travel and do what I love to do and being around, you know, a lot of great people and meeting a lot of, um, you know, good people. So I think it's just really just trying to be as positive as possible. And keep it all going. And yeah. And and keep it all together. I mean, there's days where I have mental breakdowns. Like there, uh, there's days where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like how am I going to be from here to here and change and have to shower? And then, cause you know, you go from pickleball then to do stuff on air. Yeah. You overwhelm yourself with the whole, like it hasn't even happened, but you like overwhelm yourself. And then posting timely too. It's like when one event's going, it's already out of date the next one. So it's like, I have a ton of content that I still need to post from Super Bowl, but it already happened. And like, I'm still going to get it out there eventually, but it's just being so timely and preparing. So do you keep to like, cause I know that when I don't do my like nighttime skincare or kind of just shut, (laughs) shut up. You get enough men on this show. Let me get a girl. Okay. Okay. Cause that keeps me like, if I've had a shit day, and I'm just oh. like, all right, we're going to do our five-step skincare routine. We're oh. going to put our mask on. Does that help when you're traveling? Oh, yes. Okay. I am big into routine and getting ready for bed. It is the most annoying process. But if I don't do it the right way, mm-hmm. then I already wake up feeling like something's off. Yeah. I, I do my skincare routine every night. You mean it's not just a hot shower and go to bed? No. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no I, do have, I do have a skincare routine that I do. Every night, I have my face washes that I use, my cleanser. Yeah, your serums, your toner. It's too yeah, much yeah, for yeah. me, man. Everything. And then the silk pillowcase. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Yes. So, actually, on Saturday, February 24th at 11 a.m., you and your fiancé, Hunter Fieri, Guy Fieri's son, who actually is in the building as well, are hosting an event at Miami Beach Golf Club as part of the annual South Beach Food and Wine Festival. What is it, and who's going to be there? Hunter, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's, it is, we started the pickleball event last year. No, uh, so we started the pickleball event last year. And we, Tara got me into pickleball. We're here for the food. I'm doing a demo. We're doing an after dark party. We're like, why don't we take our knowledge of events in culinary and pickleball and help bring it to Sobe and bring in some of the best chefs in the world, some That's amazing awesome. celebrity chefs. And let's just get everyone together, a little fun exercise and activity in the morning before the weekend gets crazy. And uh, just get out there and have some good food, get a little tournament going. Jeff Morrow's uh, the MC, and he's an oh, wow. amazing MC. Oh, yeah, yes. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we're like, why not, why not go and do this? Why not help put it on? Why not help bring some, uh, some, some, good, some good product and some good people there? So who can we expect to be on the pickleball court? Well, let's see. Just from this list that we have. Morimoto? I wish. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> I wish. Bobby Flay. Yes. I don't no, think Bob. I don't think no, Bobby's, I don't think Bobby's no. on there. I think um, beat see. beat Bobby Flay and pickleball. Could you That's imagine? the new show. That would yeah, be right. amazing. Right. That'd be amazing. Antonia Lafaso, Stephanie Izard. Mm. Uh, Ooh, all right. Tiffany, JJ Johnson, Jet Tila, mm-hmm. Jonathan Sawyer. Your dad? My dad's gonna come visit. Oh, uh, nice. I mean, watch, but he he's not. Uh, I don't think he's tournament ready yet. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 Oh, and wait until you see our uniforms. Ooh. Oh, yeah, we got some That's gonna be oh. And so you guys are playing as well, then. We are yes. gonna be playing. Oh, as a duo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So All right. It's gonna be good. We played last year when we played. It was my first time ever playing uh, pickleball. 
Actually, maybe my second time. And we made it to the finals. All right. Um, and we and came she, in she second. She carried the team, though. She carried Who'd it. you guys lose to? We lost to... I'm trying to think. Who do we... Oh, we lost to George Arango, who was actually... Uh, a foodie down here yes. in 305. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes. And his partner. I don't remember his yeah. partner's name. He brought in a ringer. But they were yes. good. Yeah, they it, was a, a ringer. It, was, it was a great... Ringers. It was such a great match, and we're so excited to see them on championship court, hopefully, Now, yeah. now you're going to bring Saturday. home the title. Oh, bring now she's going to talk that there shit. We go, talk there we go. that shit, girl. Can, can we win oh, yeah. a tournament? Can, <laughs> yeah, is that yeah. okay? Yeah, why not? Why not? I don't see anything wrong with that. Come on. You I know? mean, everyone's just having fun and playing their hearts out. I know if we played down to anything or anyone, like, you should always just, like, stay consistent because the moment you start doing that, mm -hmm. then that's when you really get embarrassed. Yeah. You're talking about playing down to the competition's level. Oh, I got you. Yeah. I, I hear you. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's going to be good, though. I know that Antonia and Brian Lando. Brian Lando is the, uh, the owner and producer of, of uh, Guys Grocery Games and Turn yeah. Champions. Yeah. Um, I know he's going to play, and they're talking a lot of shit. Well, so. the only way I got better was getting beat really bad. Oh, so, yeah. like, if I was playing someone really good, I would expect them to play really good against me because I don't want them to have to play down and then it not be the same level. Like, I want to get better by getting beat bad. Mm -hmm. Oh, so That's it how spurred you on. Yeah. <laughs> it spurred you on to want to be better. John doesn't yeah. like losing. Uh, no, I hate losing. I don't think any of us like losing. <laughs> no. we're, all, we're all very competitive. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a good thing. But, I, you know, last question really for you is, in each of these three amazing jobs, Mets content creator, professional pickleball player, and social media influencer, you've been incredibly successful. What do you think the key to your success has been? In other words, what's the secret sauce? Ooh. You see what Rocco did there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> I just... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really just staying consistent, persistent, and really just battling through any kind of adversity. Would you say it's drive? Yes. I would say it's the drive being open to new opportunities, always wanting to meet new people and network. I think that's huge for anyone. You know, being unapologetically you and just kind of keep doing you and not worrying what other people have to say or think. That's awesome. That is a great piece of advice. And thank you very much for joining us He's today. He's going to make this his daughters listen now. Oh, no, they should anyway. I mean, it's a drive <laughs> is, a, is a big thing. I mean, be you. Be you. I mean, be that's you. that's the biggest thing. Yeah, because yeah. there was times yeah. I would question, like, oh, is this good enough to post? Like, even at, like even now, last Hunter, I'm like, do you think, like, this is, like, good enough? And he's just like, just post it. Like, gets one like, one view eventually. You know, it's going to be seen somewhere. And that's how a lot of people end up blowing up. It's like just putting it out there to the world. Yep. You have a talent. You have a passion. Yep. Just show it. Even months later. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're happy to have you on. I mean, and I'm like, yeah. holy yeah. shit. It'll pop back up. Yeah. 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 Five, five years later, right? Five years <laughs> right. Later. There's things I'll like yes, catch myself yes. like going on the yeah. feed. I'll like it and it's on the For You page. I'm like, oh, wow, 2022? Like that person's <laughs> going to think I'm crazy. Yeah. Oh, that's it awesome. happens. Well, thank you again for your time. Thank it's, you guys uh, for having me. It's been a pleasure to have me. you on. And thank you, Hunter, for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So thank you. Cheers. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, John Falco and Tara Bernstein, our co-host, Maria Cabre, our producer, Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thanks for starting your weekend with us. You can catch us each Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real.